Hello, my name is Christine Dison, and I'm the CEO and founder of the Modern Artist Project. Today, I'm with Dr. Garrett Hope, an award-winning composer, speaker, and money coach. His focus is on helping people change their thoughts, feelings, and beliefs about money. I am also with Arthur Brewer, co-founder of ComposerInResidence.org, a model for creating custom artist residencies for community ensembles. He is also the host of the Melodology podcast. They are both from the Ultimate Music Business Summit. Thank you, Garrett and Arthur, for joining us today. Thank you for having us. It's our pleasure. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you for making the time. So one of the things that I wanted to start off with is both of your backgrounds. Both of you are composers. Could you just tell our audience a little bit about who you are? Well, we could probably start with Garrett. Sure. So I am a composer. My doctorate is in composition. And primarily right now, I write for educational ensembles. That means a lot of high school and middle school bands, orchestras, and choirs. So I also do a lot of media music when I can. To kind of wrap it, put that in context, this is a big part of my entrepreneurial journey, trying to figure out because about eight years ago or so, I came into some situations where I had to start figuring out what does it mean to be a musician right now? And how do I pay the bills? Because I was teaching in universities and had to make a big switch from I'm a composer who teaches to I'm a composer who helps my audience get what they want. Wow, that's really great. Thank you for sharing that with us, Garrett. And what about you, Arthur? Well, I had a degree in music and then immediately got out of college, I will say decades ago, got out of college and then couldn't find a job in music myself. And I ended up going into graphic design. In addition to the ComposerResidence.org and the Ultimate Music Business Summit, I have a company called Firespike, which is web development. And I went and started doing that, but then realized that if I didn't continue composing, I couldn't continue thinking of myself as a composer, which was my primary identity as a composer. So I decided I was going to start composing every opportunity that I could again. And I took all this old music out, started re, you know, rearranging, figuring out how this music could work, finishing pieces that I'd started. And that led to short film score and then eventually led to me promoting myself as a composer in my chamber of commerce, which I had been promoting myself as the web development business, but I started promoting myself as a composer and got commissions and ended up getting my for- first orchestral premiere and then my first band concert band premiere uh, from the you know basically from promoting myself as a composer in a chamber of commerce an actual business chamber of commerce and that led to me having the composer in residence positions with two ensembles and then also creating this model for creating your own residency in a way that doesn't necessarily have to cost the organization that you're with it doesn't have to cost the ensemble but you it's a win-win situation both the ensemble and the composer get to have benefits from this relationship. And it's a model that Garrett actually has used as well with a concert band. And that's, you know, that's just a really exciting thing. Then Garrett created the Ultimate Music Business Summit, (laughs) single-handedly did the first one, inviting a number of people to record presentations and give them online. And for the second year, he invited me to be on the the executive team with also Heidi K. Begay, who can't be here today. Wow, that's that's so amazing to hear both of your stories and how both of you were able to find 
ways to continue to do things that you're still very passionate about and being able to take action too. I mean, it's not easy starting your own business or even having the entrepreneurial mindset. So what suggestions do you guys have for our audience today in regards to those who are maybe trying to find a path that works for them? Well, I I would say the, the biggest piece of advice I could give is to recognize that you are a business, even if you're still a student. And what that means and how Arthur and I really understand it, and Arthur is really good at explaining this, so he should chime in a little bit too, is you are not just making art. You're serving a community. You're serving people who want to engage with your music in a variety of ways. And what the heart of business is, is helping a customer, and we use the term audience broadly to define a customer, to get what they want and what they need. And that could mean entertainment. It could be education. It could be a whole variety of things. And what you do as the musician is you say, I can help you and pay me for that help. And then now you have a business. But fundamentally, the government treats you as a business. If you claim income, if you get 1099s or if you file a Schedule C as a musician, then you are a business. And when you begin to think like a business, not only in serving your customer, but there's also money benefits too, because now you can take advantage of the incentives that are in place for businesses. So part of your rent and your utility bills can be written off as a business expense and even more. But the biggest piece of advice, I'll say it again, is for musicians to think of what they're doing as a business. Let me chime in here that a lot of people in the arts think of business as being a kind of a four-letter word. They think of business as something they don't want to do. And in fact, I, I would recall myself going into a music degree because I didn't necessarily want to go into business. I wanted to be a composer. I wanted to be a musician. And I, you know, I did not think of myself at the time as somebody who was going to have to go into business. And I didn't think in those terms. And business is basically just a way of thinking about yourself in terms of what you're doing, what you're giving, and then getting compensation back for what it is that you do. And also, you know, a lot of people in arts think in terms of money as being something that's, you know, either bad or unattainable for whatever reason. And money is just a form of gratitude. Money is just a way of somebody thanking you for what you have done. It's a physical form of gratitude. And that's something else that, that I think a lot of people who are in the arts need to think about because they don't want to think about money. They don't, they're worried about how much are they worth and how much should they charge and things like that. But if you think of it in, in terms of money is gratitude, then it takes away all of the kind of stigma that our culture has around thinking about and talking about money. And this is really great. I mean, in regards to sometimes like the advice or sometimes people think when they're in school, they have this romantic vision of I'm going to do X, Y, Z and my, my life is going to be like this. Whereas, you know, in order for our lives to become the way that we want them to be, we have to take a lot of initiative. And that I feel like that initiative from what both of you describe is, is very internal in regards to being able to have the courage, right? To say, I make art and I enjoy it. And this is a part of who I am. And this is what I'm going to charge for it. And if you think it's good for you, fantastic. If it's not, then that's okay. Because there's so many of us in the world. So type of thing. Yeah. And if you don't charge what you feel you're worth, if somebody, if you say, this is what I do, this is the amount of money that I require for this kind of work. And you compromise that or you make it too low, you're undervaluing your, your worth. And it, that affects you in a bunch of different ways. It affects your own emotional state because you're, you're a, you're not going to be able to pay the bills the way you need to, if you are not you know making sure that you're getting enough money for some, something. But on the other hand, you're also devaluing yourself emotionally 
emotionally. And your, your confidence is less because you feel that you are worth less. Careful how I yeah. phrase that combination of words. <laughs> but you feel like you have less worth because you are you are not getting the amount of, of value back for what you believe uh, your value is. Add on to that, a lot of musicians hold on to the scarcity mindset that begins with a fixed pie thinking that says there's only so many students or performance opportunities or money to go around. And if somebody else gets that gig, that means I couldn't. And that kind of thing leads to this sense of, oh, there's never enough. And we race to the bottom. Like Arthur said, we devalue our art in order to get that next gig. A few months ago, my family and I were vacationing in Colorado. That's where I grew up. So we were just taking a little family vacation over fall break. And we were driving through the mountains and we happened to stop to get lunch in Vail. So we were walking around and there's this great art gallery and I go in and I love going into art galleries. But this is a guy who found an audience in a way to serve them and he charges a premium for it. So his statues, like small 12 inch high statues start at around $1,000 and the prints on the wall, just like oil painting prints, a couple hundred dollars. And yet I could go to a gallery in a different city with a different audience and those same things would be one quarter of the cost. And so what it is, is holding the value and knowing this is how I can contribute to my community, to the people who want what I am making. And a lot of that starts with this, the money thinking, just as Arthur pointed out. No, for sure. And I think this this mindset, I feel like is something that we have to have, especially within the digital age that we live in. So from what I understand with the Ultimate Business Music Summit that you are having soon, when, when is when are the dates for that again? All right. It is January 5th through January 7th of 2023. We scheduled it for that first week of January because it's after the holidays. Everybody's done with all of the madness that happens in late December, but it's also before things really start to ramp up in terms of if it's, you know, for school or even for business. That first week is this period where it's kind of, it's, a rebirth of people. They have this, you know, this time where you're doing your New Year's resolutions and all that sort of stuff. It's a good time to learn. It's psychologically a good time to take on initiatives and, and take on self-improvement. And so January 5th through 7th, and you can go to musicsummit.biz to sign up for it and to find out about our amazing presenters. It's all live presentations online. And it's, it's just, there's so much value in this 30 something presenters and three days of content. Wow, that's amazing. So what kinds of topics are typically covered at the summit? Oh my gosh, uh, we have so many things. So let me just start by saying over those three days, there are over 30 presentations. And this is this feels like a real conference where you can go and at every given hour, there are usually multiple things to choose from. And so you kind of have to like, okay, which one's going to be of most interest to me right now? But we have stuff that deals with the mindset around money, the mindset in self-confidence and dealing with the imposter syndrome and thinking well. Um, and then how do you get stuff done? Like, how do you start all these issues that you've actually brought up or that we've discussed while we've been on this interview? But then we get into a lot about studio building, writing contracts for your students. How do you attract the right audience? And then there's marketing issues. So how do you market your ensemble? How do you market yourself? I'm giving a presentation on John 
copywriting, meaning how do you write words that sell and promote people to take an action? So that means your bios, your program notes, the emails you send, and your social media posts. We want people to respond in a way. And there's an art and a craft to that. We have things on networking, getting sponsorship. Um, and then our keynote speaker owns a PR and branding company based in Nashville called Dead Horse Branding. And Mel Corcabello is going to be talking about the core issues you need to do to brand yourself now and why you can't wait. We cover so much business and music business is a very big umbrella. We're talking all within that. That's so amazing. I think you're kind of pulling me in. I, I, <laughs> I, I myself, I'm being, I'm being sold on it and I don't get sold on a lot of things. <laughs> so that's, no, this is really exciting. No, this sounds really cool. And I feel like this is also something that, you know, I feel like even students like in the university system or even in the college or conservatory system would benefit from. And so when we think about the different classes, the different advice that both of you had received in your development, your formation, did you receive anything like in regards to like this type of, okay, I have to have a mindset. I have to create all of these things. Do you feel like that's being really communicated well with audiences or performers today? No, I do not. Let me explain. So when I was a student, there were just a few viable tracks for music majors. The first and the most practical music degree is to get a music education degree, because as soon as you graduate and you're certified, you can get a job. But all my music teacher friends experienced a tremendous amount of burnout. And it's a hard job. And if you're not actually designed as a human being to be a teacher, it's not a good fit for you. And not all of us are teachers, right? So many of us fall into other tracks. And that is performance or become some sort of professor. And that really is the big three ways that the big three tracks, I guess, the music majors can take. And I fell into the, I'm going to be a professor trap. And when I was finishing my master's, I kid you not, my professor said, and this was in 2006, he said, Garrett, this is a great time to be getting your graduate degrees because soon all the baby boomers are going to retire and they're going to have to fill the position. So they, well, what schools do, and that story is a good example of it is they dangle this carrot that at the end of your degree, there's going to be a job for you. There will be ways to make money. But what happened in 2008, as soon as I started my doctorate, the economy went in the tank. And as people, if they retired, because many of them chose not to, universities and colleges changed the way they're hiring. So there's fewer positions. And now we keep dangling this carrot. And I am a former professor. So I did this for years. I was part of the problem. We tell students, just get another degree. There's opportunities at the other end, but there's not. There's fewer and fewer. And if I knew what I knew now when I was an undergrad, not only would I have made different choices, but I would have had a whole lot less career stress and anxiety going forward because I wouldn't have been thinking about getting a job. Instead, I would have been thinking about serving an audience. Now, I do, to be clear, still believe in school. And if you want to be a musician, you need to study. And so we want musicians to operate at a high level. So go to school. But do not for a moment fool yourself to think that that degree means that now there are jobs on the other end. Yeah, the education itself is not the thing that's going to give you, you know, just having an education isn't enough to give you a position. It's not enough to make sure that you're a fit for a particular job or a particular career. There are so many things besides just 
the book knowledge that you have to have. And especially thinking in terms of the overall business. And this happens with, with artists a lot is they think of in terms of just the art, just the craft that they are creating, but they don't think in terms of what is the value that I'm providing? How can I represent that value? How can I communicate? How can I quickly communicate the value to somebody? If I meet somebody and they ask, what do you do? How can you quickly communicate that value to somebody? And whether or not you are what we call a solopreneur, whether or not you're a freelancer or whether you are a, you know, a solo business owner or part of a huge organization, you're still in business and you still need to think in terms of that business. And education does not necessarily provide you that way of thinking in terms of how do you provide the value? How do you fit into an organization? How do you help the organization? How do you do it without compromising your own ideals and so forth? And, and Garrett, I want to make sure that I point out when you say that at the end of the you know end, end of your education, there will not be opportunities. You, you were talking specifically about there being fewer and fewer opportunities to be professors and to be a, a person who has a, a guaranteed position because you have a degree in either music education or whichever particular music degree you have. There yes. is a ton of opportunity out there. There is always yes. opportunity out there. It might not be where you think it's going to be, but there is opportunity all over the place out there. You do not have to have a doctorate to reach that, to get those opportunities. A doctorate is an amazing thing. If you really want to be an expert in what you do, if you really want to have that deep knowledge and deep understanding and the learning and the practice that goes into to what you do when you have to work to get your doctorate, all the things you have to do to get that degree, that will give you huge depth of, mm -hmm. of skills and mindset and all those things. But it does not mean that you immediately have somehow more opportunities because there are opportunities everywhere. You may have opportunities that can get you more money, possibly, but you also have spent a bunch of time and a bunch of money getting to that position where that degree has put you. So it's an investment to potentially get more, you know, higher paying jobs or so forth. But that isn't necessarily, lots of people don't want to spend that many years just going through education. And it does not guarantee, oh yes, you will have a position you know, handed to you once you get your doctorate. That's a, that's something that I have heard from so many people with doctorates that they are just stressed out of their minds when, when they've gotten their degree and what am I going to do now and where is the opportunity? Yeah, and I did not mean to say that the opportunities won't be there. Let me clarify. Think of this as a Venn diagram, okay? One circle represents your talent stack. These are all the things you know, your experience, your skill set. It's what makes you you and not certainly exchangeable. Like if you're a violinist, what are all the other things that you bring to the table? Maybe you're a great communicator or a good teacher. It doesn't matter. The other circle is the people who you can serve. And where that Venn diagram intersects, that little bit, there are an almost endless number of opportunities. Can I tell just an anecdote? Yeah. Over Thanksgiving week, I was like, I'm, you know, I'm just going to rewatch Parks and Recreation, the show. I love it. It's so funny. And I love Andy Dwyer. Are you familiar with Parks and Recreation? Yeah, I, I'm familiar with it. So, you know, Andy's kind of the, the goofus. He's kind of this goofy guy who wants to be a rock and roll star. And he writes just obnoxious songs. And then somewhere near, I don't know, maybe the fifth season, he falls into an opportunity to start performing for children. And he's having this identity crisis. He's like, but I wanted to be a rock and roll star. And his wife, April, points out, yeah, but you're really good at this. 
And what happened there was this talent stack. Here's a guy who's pretty good at music, writes goofy songs, and can communicate very, very well to a particular audience. And here's an audience that's hungry for what he's making. But he couldn't find it until he actually saw how he could serve that audience. And then if you're familiar with the show, he ends up having a huge career after that as this kind of children's entertainer. And many of us get blinded by this idea. We go to university and we're like, I'm going to be a professor or I'm going to be a teacher or I'm going to be just an orchestral performer. And as Arthur was saying, no, the opportunities are endless. That's definitely true. And I agree. I 200% with both of you. The reason why I say 200% is because there's two of you here. <laughs> right. 100% for each of you. No, in regards to that, and that, that's the thing, like, for example, Garrett, I'm glad that you shared that anecdote with us because of the fact that it really resonated with me. Also, when I started the Music and Language Learning Center, which was my first entrepreneurial venture, and I was in a position where I had lost my job. I, I didn't have money. I was broke. I had to make a list of things like, okay, Christine, think quick. What are you good at? Right. And putting a list of things down and being able to shape those ideas into something that was really meaningful. And it goes into that audience, too, because I never thought I could be a teacher for younger students because my whole mindset, which was what both of you have been mentioning, which, you know, I think can resonate with us as, you know, with the audience. I'm going to be this and this is the only thing I'm going to be. If I am not this, then I am a failure. I am a bad person. Whereas it's not it's not a reflection being bad or good is just, you know, the reflection of how our world is today uh, versus what it was 30 years ago or even 40 years ago when we were training for music and things like that. So there's so much growth. And yeah, that, that was really great. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> sure. Well, to, to riff on the idea of, of having different, you know, different things than you're expecting, but also when you are doing whatever it is you're doing, you can have different income from different things. And this goes back to Garrett's podcast, The Portfolio composer is about the composer's ability to have different streams of income from different things. So you can get a commission and you get paid for composing a piece of music, but then you also get the performance rights that you get when the music is performed and you have to make sure that you are paying attention to the performances of your music so that you get paid by BMI or ASCAP or whichever your performing rights organization is. And they will make sure you get paid when anybody performs your music. So you have another stream of income from that. Then you have also sheet music sales. Somebody wants to perform your music, but they just want to, they want to play it in school. You might not have a performance, but you can have the sheet music sales. And then you have licensing and all these, you know, these different channels that come in just from being a composer. It's the same for any artist. You can do a number of different things that will bring you income and all these different ideas. And maybe, maybe even not necessarily something that you thought you were going to do and thought you're going to be good at. You can also teach and all that, you know, it just goes on and on. You can speak at events. So keeping a mind, keeping your mind open to all the different things that are available to you. This is not the world that we had 40, 50 years ago where you got a job and you tried to keep that job until you were in a retirement age and your 401k had built up to where you could retire and afford to spend your time not working. We're no longer in that world. This is not a career society anymore. This is a gig society. This is a society where you have a job while you want to have the job. And very often you're, you're going to plan to leave 
leave that job and find a better job at some point. Or you are a solopreneur or are you are somebody that has four different sources of income that you work on every single day. So this is no longer the Aussie and Harriet world that we, you know, a lot of us, you know, still have as a mindset. And frankly, a lot of educators still have that kind of mindset yeah. too, that you will find yourself a career and that career means you have a position doing something versus thinking in terms of all the ways that you can benefit from the things that you do. I, I, I want to take what Arthur said and bring it back to your question about universities right now, because I think many schools are beginning to see the need to offer this way of thinking. And so they're adding in business and music entrepreneurship classes into their curriculum. But there's a, a few problems. The first is that it's really hard to add anything into a music curriculum because there's whenever you add a class that's required, you have to take away something else. So what are you going to take away? Performance requirements, music history requirements, right? Because there's only so many hours you can fit in a degree. The second problem is that unless these schools are hiring musicians who have have built their own career or, or who think entrepreneurially, it's being taught by professors who have only ever been university professors. And they don't know what the grind is like. They don't know what it's like to find an audience. And like you said, figure out what is it that I can offer because they went to school, went to school, got a position, right? So the schools see the problem and they're trying to solve it, but they're not doing it well all the time. And there's nothing wrong with that, you know, as long as we're conscious. And that's the thing. I feel like, you know, awareness that we need to have. I feel like that's something that's really important too, that sometimes people people don't realize. And I know that awareness with me like really was an eye opener, especially with when the pandemic happened, you know, being able to find a way, okay, how can I still do what I'm passionate about or still share things in a way that's meaningful for me that I feel satisfied that, you know, I'm being able to serve a community. And I think those, those are really important things, especially with the digital digital media age that we live in now. Both of you have mentioned that, you know, the possibilities are endless. The summit is online. So there's like no reason why you can't come. So like, even if you have the flu, you could even watch <laughs> the, the conferences online, you know, and being able to consume information in that way that, you know, you're able to connect with different people who have different ideas. And I think that's so, that's so amazing. In regards to all of the work that you have done, could you, could you tell me how long did it take for the summit? it to become a yearly thing? Well, I, when I started this, it was in the in the middle of all the shutdowns and, and no one knew what the future was going to look like. And everyone was panicky. And myself and many of my friends and acquaintances had lost tens of thousands of dollars of gig opportunities and performances. I mean, it was really scary and hard. So I created the summit to give people hope and to help people shift their thinking. In fact, the tagline was write your own stimulus check because the U.S. government at the time was sending money to everyone trying to stimulate the economy, saying, you know, because the economy runs on how people believe the economy should run. It, it's, it, it's a weird thing. But I wanted people to start thinking like there's opportunities. And it went really well. And the overwhelming response was, let's do this again. <laughs> and that's when I, I reached out to Arthur and Heidi and said, I can't do this by myself anymore. I need help. So we ran it last year, which was the second time. And now this year will be the third time. And we're just so thrilled with the lineup of 
presenters and topics. It's going to be tremendous. Yeah. And let me also say the first one that Garrett did and he pulled off single-handedly was recorded presentations. It was all pre-recorded and people could watch and that was great. The second one was all live presentations. And this is the way we're doing the, the summit going forward. Entirely live presentations. And when the presentation is done, you have the opportunity to speak to the person who gave the presentation. This isn't just a recorded presentation here. You get to watch somebody talk. This is the opportunity to ask questions. You have the opportunity to pop questions in live and the presenter can choose to respond to your questions live if they feel that it's appropriate during the presentation. But you have the opportunity after to even have one-on-one -on -one conversation with whoever the person is who happened to give that particular topic of presentation. And again, the topics range from everything from starting a business, you know, how to do things online, how to market yourself, how to have money mindset, how to, you know, kind of all the different things. We're trying to be as broad across all the different business needs as we can be with a limited number of slots at a three-day summit. So we are really trying to make sure that we're, we're serving as wide an audience as possible. But it also, we're trying to serve the, the kind of panoramic needs of what somebody who is in business is going to, to run into. What are the things that you need to have to be dealing with business? And it's just, we try and get to everything. No, that's really amazing. Thank you so much. Garrett, could you kindly tell our audience again, the dates, just so that way they can make sure they note it very well in their calendar? <laughs> yes, write it down, friends. So it's January 5, 6, and 7. And you can read about everything that happens in the summit. You can see the presenters and the schedule and the topics and read little blurbs about each presentation at musicsummit.biz. That's .biz. And that's also where you want to go to get your ticket. So when you go to the website, you'll see that there are multiple ticket options. First off, there is a student version of both the regular and the VIP because we remember what it was like to be a student. And as we were discussing earlier, we really want to help students be set up for success the moment they graduate. But there's the regular ticket for $37 and then the VIP ticket for $197. And that's the regular prices for the ticket, not the student yeah. prices for the tickets. And also the VIP ticket, the good thing about that, it lets you into everything. So all of the presentations, all of the, the actual seminars, the things that people are presenting, can you can attend those live. But if you have the VIP ticket, you get access to all of the recorded presentations and you get access to a few VIP only events during the summit. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Garrett. And thank you so much, Arthur, for joining us today and sharing your experiences and thoughts with us. We look forward to seeing the amazing things that you both do for our community. And I will definitely check out the summit. So if you guys don't check out the summit, you are you are missing out on something really great. So stay tuned. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.